We've been going in this, uh, in this church series, and, and this has been a, a great series. We're, we're, we're almost out of it. We're heading into missions month, and this is going to be a really unique month for Clearview. We're having baptisms. Uh, it, it, you just saw one. We've got uh, more coming this month, uh, several more, we think. And, and so it's, it's just a, as, as we go into missions month, you're going to get some really unique perspectives as we bring missionaries in so that you can see where everything's headed. Today, we're going to talk about an aspect of church that we all get to be a part of. And, and uh, th- this is going to be a little bit different because we're going to be in the book of, of Ephesians today. It's a New Testament letter, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. It's right after the Gospels. And you can find it toward two-thirds, two-thirds of the way through your Bible, maybe even just a little further than that. And, and there's, there's, there's several verses that we're going to talk about throughout that book. So I hope you, hope you, if you didn't bring a Bible, if you got a tablet or something, you, you're going to jockey back and forth a little bit today. And, and we're going to talk about this idea that the church was a people, and that's, that's, it's a people created for motion. And, and, and kind of talk about what that means and, and kind of your role in it. Now, one of the things you, you'll learn if, if you read the Bible or if you start studying your Bible uh, you, you'll hear this phrase a lot, context, and context drives the conversation. You, you, you've all seen people um, quoted out of context, right? Uh, you've seen that happen a million times. Well, no, you have to know the whole story behind that. Well, if you want to know in the Bible, if you want to know what a verse means, you, you look at the chapter that it was in, then think of it like you pull out a little bit, pull up a little bit, and you, and you look at the, the, the general context of the conversation pull up a little more, look at the general context of the book that it was placed in, and then you look at the context of the whole New Testament uh, and even the whole Bible. And so it kind of gives you a, a more safe way to make sure you're, you're interpreting that verse the right way. But, and, and the reason I bring that up is because the language that's in a book of the Bible, it's very important that you know, the language reveals the intent, okay? Language reveals the intent. And and you, in other words, a, a verse can never mean what it never meant. Does that make sense? A verse can never mean what it never meant. And so, so you, language, language drives the conversation. And this morning, there, there's, a, there's a pattern. And, and I've probably told some of you before, and I know you can't see this. Um, and and for, for anybody that says, I, I, I'm not a, a fan of orange, it's just not true. Because you can see all the orange in, in my, it's the shades of orange that matter most uh, to me and, and what shade it is. Um, but... But I go, if one of the things that'll help you, if you really do want to know what, what that New Testament letter is saying, I mean, this is a really great way to study the Bible. Go through, like we're in the book of Ephesians, go through and highlight or mark down repetitive words. Repetitive words. Because repetitive words tell you what the author was trying to do, he, what he was trying to say. The language reveals the intent. And this morning... We're going to look in, in, in Ephesians chapter 3 in just a second, but there's two words that keep coming up to the church. Now, here's, here's who Ephesus was, right? Ephesus was a city. In fact, Ephesus was a city of wealthy people. Uh, it, it was a, a people that had, had done well, much, much like our county. It was people that, that had resources to, to, to do things with. And, but Paul would have written a letter to a group of people. So it would be like writing a letter to the church at Franklin. And then many of us, you know, uh, Mark Rampula, Darren Whitehead, Darren Tyler, you know, Sean Clark, we would have passed it around. 
and, and we would have read it and said, hey, this is what the apostles telling us. And, but there's two words that keep coming up in the book of Ephesians. And it's, it's a word soma, which means body. And it's a word ecclesia, which means people. And, and, and ecclesia comes up nine times. I think soma comes up 13. And so what, what's being said right there is that, is that the word of God tells us that the church is not an institution and it's not a location. The church is a, is a people, a living people and a living body. So now you can understand when, when Paul starts talking about how Jesus is the head, he, he means it's the head of the body. So when he starts talking about the body of Christ, now you know what he's getting at is, is the church was never designed to be an institution. It was always designed to be a, a, a living body of living people. And, and so what happens is you see Jesus put his spirit not into an institution, right? He put it into a people. At Pentecost, at Pentecost, something happened. Jesus breathed himself. He put the Holy Spirit into the playing field, if you will. He injected the Holy Spirit into the church, but he didn't inject it into brick and mortar, right? He didn't inject it into brick and mortar. He injected it into people. And, and sometimes um, th this is a, a thought I think sometimes driving down the road. I wonder, I wonder what the demons thought at Pentecost. I mean, because there's, you know, demons aren't, aren't demons and principalities. They're, they're not all-knowing. The devil's not all-knowing. God is all-knowing, right? The devil's not all-knowing. And his minions are not all-knowing. And so just when they thought they had Christ defeated, not only does he come out of the grave, right? But a few days later, the, it went from one Jesus to now Jesus in all of them. I mean, and I was like, oh, can't you imagine? Oh, wow. Now, so let, you know, you guys didn't think that I was going to go on you know, my number one bucket list place of all time, Normandy, France, and not, it's, it's gonna find its way into sermons, I promise. Uh, I don't know how, but I knew that before I ever went, okay? But there was, there was a couple of key things. I, I, I told Michelle before we went on our 25th anniversary trip, I said, she said she wanted to go to Paris, and I said, well, if we're going to France, like, you can stay at the hotel, there's one place I'm going, you know? And she, she so wanted to go to, um, of all the places in the world that I've ever wanted to see, for some reason, it was, it was where my grandfather went across Omaha Beach. And, and that just mattered to me because my, my family tree is shaped by that. Your family tree is shaped by all of that. I mean, it's, it's the largest invasion in the history of the human race. And there were several things I got to see, but one of the things I got to see were these German bunkers. And these observation towers, and that's, some of them are incredibly well-preserved. And, and there's, these, there's these times and, and that you, you can go and you can, what I love about history is you can uh, go stand and know that something happened there. One of my friends went to Israel one time, and, you know, it's up for debate where Golgotha, the cross was. It's, it's still up for debate where uh, some of the locations are. But there's one place that we know is not up for debate, and that's Jacob's Well. That's been there for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And so my buddy Bob, he walked all the way around that well and he said, somewhere on this little piece of dirt, the Messiah stood. You know, it's things like that that kind of make my brain go into hyperdrive. And I took, I took this picture from the inside. 
of one of those bunkers. That's Point de Hoc, and you can I'll, you can Google up Point de Hoc and, and all of the things that happened at Point de Hoc. But but um, I had, I've watched for years, and and, I, and this is what I thought, right? It just like I wonder what demons think. I wonder. On June 6, 1944, some 20-year-old German observation guy was like, what is that? Reports say that, that when, when they sent uh, transmissions back to General Urban Rommel, who was one of Hitler's right-hand men, that one of the radio, one of, I've studied this for year, 20 years or more of my life. I've studied World War II history a lot. And, and, and one of the reports was that one of the radar, one of the radar operators sent word back to, to the higher division saying, hey, we think the radar's broke because there's no way, like there's blips all over it and that's never happened. So there's just, that would represent thousands of ships and thousands of planes and we think it's on the fritz. But I'm calling you because if it is true, we're, I don't have the words for what's about to happen. Well, obviously it was true. And I wonder right there at Point de Hoc what some 19 to 22 year old, that's what he saw. And that's, by the way, that's all they can get in the camera lens. That was for miles. It was for miles. For my, that's the only thing they could get in the frame. And that's just, that is one little sector of Omaha Beach. That's one little sector. That's how big that thing was. I've often wondered what those soldiers went like. What is about to happen to us? I wonder if that's what the demons felt when, when Jesus injected the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. What is about to happen to us? What did they think? See, there's, there's this... There's this thing about us being a people in motion. God saw our sin and he sent his son. He put it into motion. God saw that the world needed a church and so he put it into motion through the power of his spirit. He, so, so understand that it's not that, that there's, that there's this phrase floating around Christianity my whole life that it's not about works and it's not. It's not about man-made works and earning but don't, don't misunderstand friends. Christianity is not built on works but it is built on action. It is built on action. And let me tell you what I mean by that. God took action. When he saw your sin, that you were never going to get to go to heaven, he took action. When he saw that the world needed a church, he took action. So it's, so it's true that, that our faith isn't built on human merit. We can't earn that. But it is built on action. God took action. And so what does that mean? I want you to look in, in Ephesians 3. And uh, there's just two verses. I really, in, in, in all transparency, this is one of those weird sermons where you kind of just want to read the whole book. But then again, that would take almost 25, 30 minutes, and then I wouldn't get to say anything about it. And that's why you pay me, is to say stuff about it. Um, I think that's why you pay me. I'm not really sure. That, that's what I think, um, you know. But there's two verses there in Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that is works within us, that's Pentecost, the, the spirit of Jesus. By the way, that word power in verse 20, it's the same word Jesus used in Acts 1.8. It's the word we use for dynamite. 
So it's the same, it's, it's the dynamite power. So it's the same word Jesus used, Paul used, the power that's inside of us to him, verse 21, to be the glory where in the church, in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever and ever, amen. So that power was put into us, like it or not, or able to fathom it or not, God chose to build a church for action. He chose to build you and me, because we, we, we see in, in the book of Ephesians, we're not an institution, we're not a campus, we're not an address on a street, we're a people and we're a body. And so that body was meant for action. So what does that reveal? It reveals a couple things, and this is what, this is, I'm kind of giving you an overview of the book of Ephesians this morning, but, but the first thing I would tell you is that God uses his people to reveal his heart. That's why the church, that's one of the reasons the church was born. You and I are, are really marketing representatives, and I don't think that's, that's a cheesy way of saying it. I think we are, I think we are marketing represent, representatives of, of a redemption. We are billboards of redemption, and that's what we do. And so Paul says in Ephesians 3, 6, he says it this way. If you, if you want to look in that same chapter, I put it, this is out of the, the, um, the, the New Living Translation. It's more of a commentary, but I love the way it says it. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. There's that word again. And both enjoy the same promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. You see, the church was there to reveal the heart of God. That it, it wasn't just the favored people of Israel. When Jesus came, the book of Ephesians tells us, in many other places in the New Testament, that Jesus brought the two people together. Those that were of God's original people, Israel, and now he's including people outside the promise. So now we are all called, and so we are a reflection. We are the manifold reflection of the heart of God. You and me, we are all the reflection of the heart of God. And that's a beautiful thing. We're, we're here to represent who, who the Lord is. And he uses people to do it. He doesn't use steeples to do it. He doesn't use campuses to do it. He uses us to do it. Because there's so much variety in the family of God. God uses his people to share his heart for all nations. And then it goes further in Ephesians, God uses his people to offer a family. You were brought into a family. In fact, it, it, it might not even be too much of a stretch to say for many of us in Christ, for many of you, you actually might feel more a part of a family with God's family than you do your own. More understood, maybe even more accepted. God, God provided a family. He took action and he, and he gave people a place where they could count. In, in Ephesians 2, he says this, if you want to write down a reference, Ephesians 2, 11. Now this, again, I had to kind of edit. It's such a long passage. I, I, I edited some portions of that. This is what Paul says, but don't forget that you Gentiles, by the way, if you wonder, that's kind of a, what is that word? If you, if you don't, if you haven't read the scripture too much, Gentiles is just, let's say it this way, other people, right? You're, all of us in this room, we're other people. There's Jews that were part of the promise, and then there's all of us other people. And the other people now became, the, the, the nobodies became somebodies, right? The nobodies became somebodies. Okay, that's what he's getting at right there. So don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens. 
You were excluded from citizenship. You did not know the covenant promises of God. But now, now why? Because of the cross and the resurrection. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Do you see the language? You were once out there, now you're in here. To me, that is what, uh, this is just my opinion, but I, I think Ephesians 2, 11 through 13 may be some of the most severely hopeful verses in the New Testament. It's severe hope. I mean, it's extreme hope. It's radical hope. Because you never have to wonder if you have a place. You do have a place. Every one of us, we have a place. And that gets messy, right? I mean, I can think, what did Jesus say about disciples and how the world will know? He said, you'll know your mind. They'll, they'll, they'll all, out, all them will know that all of us are disciples by how well you love one another. And I can't think of a better test case to learn how to love weirdos than a church. Really, I mean it, because we're all weird. You know, every, as, as John Ortberg said in his famous book, everybody's normal till you get to know them. It's so true. It's so true. We're, 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 all, we're all people, and, and, and when you start, you know, you, you can live on the margins of church and come on Sunday and do your thing, but if you want to learn how to love people, well, then that gets dirty in a hurry, doesn't it? It gets hard in a hurry. Marriage is, is a test case of that. I tell young couples all the time, looking into marriage, like you need to know something. If you're gonna, if you're gonna covenant with somebody for 50, 60 years, it's gonna be hard. Your, your body's gonna change. Your values are gonna change. Your needs are gonna change. And that person, the person you married is not gonna be the person at your 20th anniversary. And they're sure enough not gonna be the person at your 50th anniversary if you make it that far. Different person, marriage is hard. And what better place to learn how to love well than to love here? God gave us a family for that. And, and when you look, he, you see it. There's no better place to love mul a multi-layered church and multi-layered people. Why would God do that? God would make a multi-layered church because he loves the multitudes. He loves the multitudes. That's one thing I love about going on mission trips, man. No matter where, I've been on a lot of mission trips in my life, international and, and certainly here in the States. And, man, you meet people that look at life so differently than you do. They operate so differently than you do. And it's the church, and I love it. I love it because it teaches you how to have fellowship with people that, are, that actually don't always approach it the way you do. So God gave us this family, but that's not all that he did. Now, this is a little bit deeper teaching on the church. This may, this may mess with your head a little bit, but in, in the church of Ephesus, we're a body and we're a living people. What Part of our role is not just to be a family, part of our role is not just to reveal his heart. There's another part of our role that we see in the book of Ephesians about what does the body do? And it's that we're here to display his authority, God's authority. You say, how, Jason? Well, this is kind of where the whole sermon started because it's an obscure verse that a lot of people go, what, what does he mean by that? I don't think it's complicated. I think it's just a little strange to the American mind. I want you to look in Ephesians 3.10. Actually, let's back it up. Let's back up to verse 8. Paul is talking about his calling. And he says, to me, the very least of all the saints, the grace, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles, the outsiders, 
the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery. Let me stop right there. That mystery is, see, you got to understand the mystery is why would God include people that aren't Jews? That was the mystery. Why is he doing that? So Paul says, may not make sense to all of you Jews, but I promise you he loves everybody. I promise, right? So the mystery is, that in verse 9, to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for all ages has been hidden in God who created all things. And this is an important verse right here about the teaching of the church. So that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known, active, action. That the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the ecclesia, through the people, to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Now, what does he mean by that? Is he talking about spiritual principalities and demons and angelic hosts, good and bad? Yeah, exactly. That's what he's talking about. Did you know, according to the word of God, that part of our role is to declare to the unseen world the authority of God? That's part of our role. Exactly how that happens, I really don't know other than our testimony and our words and our worship and our faithfulness. But what he says by that word manifold, what that means literally is multi-layered. Think of a quilt, right? Think of a quilt. Do you ever have a grandmother that made a quilt? My grandmother, my mom's mom made all kinds of quilts. Double wedding ring quilts or something like that. I don't know, all kinds of quilts, really cool quilts. We still have them in our family. Like they have all these colors and all this time invested into that thing. It's a great picture of the family of God, that we are multi-layered, multi-purposed, multi-faceted. Now you're starting to see why when Paul goes into later chapters, he talks about the body of Christ and, and he talks about different roles and different offices. When he talks about spiritual gifts, different places in the body, why? Because that's who God is. God is a multi-layered God, full of multi-layered people. So you and I, Part of his manifold wisdom, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom, that is the multi-layered wisdom of God should be made known, action, that we are to take it into this world to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Why, Why is that there? It's there because we are revealers of the glory of God, even to the unseen world. To the seen world and to the unseen world. It's why, it's why when you see the disciples sent out to the 70 and they come back and they're astonished and they said, hey, Jesus, uh, even the demons submitted to us in your name. Yeah, they have to. They don't have a choice. I run it all. So the manifold wisdom of God is made known through the church. And, and so let's go back one to that 2 Corinthians verse. Why does this matter? Paul said that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You see, friends, understand something about our role when it comes to the authority. And we're the truth bearers. And, and our part to play in that is that it's very clear in this world that there are principalities and unseen forces and unseen thoughts and unseen cultures that take a stand against the knowledge of God, right? This culture is on the offense. Just look around. 
It's everywhere you see. I have two sons, and I can promise you that this culture is coming for their mind. It is coming for their mind. There are parts, not all, but there are parts of the education system coming for the minds of my sons. There are parts of business culture coming for the minds of the people that you work with. There are parts, uh, parts, not all, there are parts of political structures coming for the minds of people. See, that, that set itself up against what? The knowledge of God. And so we are the truth bearers. We are the ones that, that are injected. He didn't put that into a steeple. He did not give this charge. He did not give this charge to an institution. He gave it to a people. And you get to be a part of that. That's why your silence in Christ is so catastrophic. There's no such thing as a silent witness. You don't call a witness into a courtroom only to watch them go mute. You call a witness into a courtroom to, to simply do one thing, tell what you know. Tell what you know. So part of our role is to, to reveal the glory of God even to the authorities in the unseen world because people are being taken hostage. I love the way it's often said. We, we do keys to freedom here all the time at, at Clearview, and there's, there's a line, and there's a teaching in that that I love, and it, and, and it says, uh, it's not, Jesus said the truth will set you free, right? But how can truth set you free if you don't know it? It's the truth you know that will set you free. You got to know it. And the way you know it is you, it's been taught to you. We are revealers of the truth because truth was revealed to us. And so, so let's move to, the, to this last part of, of what we're, we're told to do as a body, Soma, as, as a people, Ecclesia, number four, the role of the church is that we are vehicles. I would say it this way. We are vehicles. Let's show it up there. Go, there we go. Yes, God uses his people to be vehicles for truth. To be vehicles, that's what we are. Remember, Christianity, it is opposed to works, but it's not opposed to action. God took action over our sin, and he put action into his people because we are the vehicles, we are the truth bearers. You see, this word, ecclesia, if you, if you, if you read it, it, it occurs over and over and over and over again in, in Ephesians, and if you read what that word means, it, it means a people, watch this, I can demonstrate it with, you know, with... Uh, a s electric slide step. Um, we were people called, that was, that, yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. I was on the hoof. I, I didn't plan that one. That was a good one. So, so we're people that were standing here outside of the promise and God carried us out of somewhere and into Christ. Okay, that's what that means. He even, Paul even makes reference to it in other places. For you were transferred from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the son that he loves, the New Testament says. So, so you were, literally it means, it actually means you were once at home. You were once at home, very comfortable outside of God. And then to be, to be part of the people of God, that's you and me, for us to be part of the ecclesia, it means that we were called out of ourselves and into Christ. But understand, we weren't called out of that just to sit there. Actually, 
the language of this whole New Testament book is that we were, we were called out of an old home and into a new mission to be sent back to the places we were. We are missionaries of truth. We are offered a role. We were called out of an old life, put into a new life. But that isn't, so that we can come to church on Sunday and just go, man, it sure does feel good to be in the people of God. No, that's not, that's not, that was never the design. Why? Because Jesus took action. He took action. And he calls us to take action. Go into the world. Go into the world. And so we're called to do that. Now, now, if we stopped right there, you might ask, okay, Jason, all this is really good knowledge. I mean, those are four incredibly profound insights. No, it, it's not just good information. Yeah, it's a good overview of the church, but why does it matter? Why does it matter that God brought us all together as a family? Why does it matter that we are representatives of his glory even to the unseen world? Why does it matter that we are vehicles of truth? Why does that actually matter? And, and why, does it, why should it even matter to me? Well, look at what happens. Look at what happens when a church gets disconnected from its intent. What did I tell you in the beginning? The language reveals the intent. We are a living body of people, of living people, right? Anything that is living, if it stops moving, what happens? It dies. If you did not move your body, it would begin to turn on itself. It would begin to destruct from the inside. We were meant to be living people, but what happens? So, so what happens when, when, when a, a, a church disconnects from its calling? You know what it becomes? Landmarks. Turn left by the old church. Go down two blocks, turn right by that church. We become landmarks and locations. And you can look across America and see what happens when a people of God called to a mission stop taking action. But you also get a picture in the New Testament of what happens when a people of God connect with a calling to be a living body and a living people. They actually change the world. They actually change communities. They change school systems. They change workplaces. And that's you. It's why Jesus said that you are the salt of the world. He never said a steeple was the salt of the world. He never said a location was the salt of the world. He said you are the salt of the earth. You, you, me. We are the light of the world. Why? Because Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so he has pushed us into this motion path because that's where he breathed his spirit. Not into bricks and mortar, into a people. Christianity isn't it isn't built on merit, but it is built on action. It is built that we have a mission, and, and you get this amazing part of it. You get to play, you get to play this, this role that you would never get to play anywhere else. And that's the beauty of the church. 
is regardless of what you did in your past, regardless of what you will do in your future, regardless of your lack of education or how much education you have, regardless of your theological understanding, or regardless of if you are young in Christ or old in Christ, you have a place to be a part of a kingdom movement that is honestly like nothing the world has ever seen. It's lasted for thousands of years, no matter who's tried to kill it. It's lasted for thousands of years. And you have a place in it. And you have a role in it. And you actually have a role in it today. And I'll tell you why. Yes, we are the family of God to show people outside of this place that there is a place for them. Yes, we are there to be agents of truth even to the unseen world. Yes, we are there to be vehicles of truth in the job place and on the playground with play dates and other moms and other sales meetings and all the things we do in travel ball and, and PTOs and all the things we do in our neighborhood block parties. You know, we are agents of truth, but the reason that matters so much that you actually engage your calling, and I'll tell you, you have a place friend you have a place you matter and the reason you matter and it matters so much to this town you matter to this town because as long as long as people in Franklin and Brentwood are taking pills to numb their pain when they could go to their Savior you have a mission As long as our sons and daughters and their friends at school are being told by culture that gender is fluid, you have a mission. As long as people hide all of their marriage problems inside and show nobody and are self-destructing all around you, even next door, you have a mission. As long as people are turning to larger net worth, thinking that that will cure every problem that they brought with them from some other state, you have a mission. When it comes to the Lord God, there's no plan B. We're it. We're it. There's no plan B. The church is always plan A. And there's only one plan because that's where Christ put himself. He put himself into us. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And you have a role in it. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.